Hey, everybody. My name's Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table, and I was just telling Matt and Christian uh, when we first came in, this is really strange. It's, it's really strange to give a message in a big, beautiful church to just one person. It's just Christian and I. But um, I'm going to power through, and I'm excited to be with you all tonight as we continue in the Revised Common Lectionary, what we've been following since spring. We're in the book of Matthew tonight, and before we jump into the text, I think it's important to know that right before where we're going to be launching from, Jesus and his disciples, they were feeding 5,000 men and many more women and children in, in that miracle where they took uh, two fish and five loaves of bread and they fed everyone. So that's what they're coming off of as we get into Matthew 14 tonight, and it's another boat story. It's all about the boat. And if you remember back in chapter 8, Jesus was in a boat with his disciples and a storm came up and he was sleeping and they woke him up and they were terrified and they were afraid and he calmed the storm. Well, tonight we're in another boat with another storm, only Jesus isn't there. Jesus is walking on water. So here we are, we're in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So here is Jesus, and he sends the disciples out on a boat across the lake, and I think it's interesting they had no choice. Actually, the Greek translation of that word, send, is compelled. He made them get in that boat and go across the lake, and then he left the crowds, and he went to a mountaintop. He spent time alone to rest and to be with God. And then all of a sudden that evening, a storm brews, and that boat is battered by the waves. The Greek word that's used there for battered or beaten is bazanizo, and it literally means to torture, to torment, to harass. Figuratively, it means severe distress. So here's this boat. It's way far away from any land. The wind's against them, and it's early in the morning, between 3 and 6 a.m., so it's dark. And in the midst of all that chaos, the disciples don't recognize Jesus. I think about those disciples that night, that they must have been up a good part of that night fighting off this storm. And in this exhausted state with the roar of the waves and the spray of the sea just drenching their boat, they mistake Jesus for a ghost. And over those cries of fear, Jesus calls to them, Take heart, it is I. No need to fear. In that moment, Jesus reveals who he is. Because they would know that. 
the I am, that I am the Messiah, I am your Lord, I am your God. But in the story then, we see Peter. And so often when we look at this passage, we talk about Peter and Peter's failure, and we look at this impetuous and bold disciple who, uh, with those strengths and also those weaknesses, often gets himself into trouble. And while he asks, maybe even a bit of a demand, it sounded like, to come out and accompany Jesus, he equally jumps out of that boat and gets into those waves. And as he's looking at Jesus, he falters for a minute and he glances away and he starts to sink. Can you relate? Because I sure can. And I think that that is a good, important message, even textually, Um, we could support going in that direction if we wanted to, but I think that there's so much more to the story than that because so often we take the Peter piece of this and we talk about this idea that we have to have a faith or that we should have a faith where we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. When things get hard, keep our eyes on Jesus. That's a really good message. I think it's important for all of our faith as we move forward, but I think the heart of this message is far bigger than that. It's far different than that. And I don't know about all of you, but the problem I have with that message is it's just not quite enough. It can be a little pat, even a little trite. Hey, just keep your eyes on Jesus. I was thinking about um, doing pastoral care and trying to imagine when I'm with someone who's dying or with someone who has just been diagnosed with a devastating illness, that my response would be, hey, In the midst of this hard stuff, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Not that I wouldn't believe that or even be praying that, like, God, with your spirit, help us to keep you at the center, to keep our eyes there. But I think that it's not enough in the storms of life. And I think the other thing that's really important is that, I don't know about you, but for me, as hard as I try, I always seem to drift away from that. I get distracted. I get overwhelmed. I get busy with everything that's going on around me, and then all of a sudden, here I am, and I'm afraid. I can be afraid. But the truth is, is that storms come, and they come to all of us, and they come individually into our families, into our communities, to our nation, to our world. Those things come in devastating diagnoses, and cancer, and COVID, and divorce, and death, and broken relationships, and hunger, and homelessness, and a system that we all live in, that injustice lives. There's people that are actually damaged and destroyed by some of these storms of our life. But for some reason, when these storms come through, we we lean into these easy pat answers about our faith, like, well, if you had enough faith, or if your faith was stronger, or what kind of faith you had. I think that's a disservice to this text. I don't think it's enough. If that's where we land when we look at this, it's dangerous theology, and I, I don't think it's a good understanding of the faith that we're called to, because when we look at the question that Jesus had for Peter, the statement, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And we jump to those quick and easy answers. You just need faith. If you had stronger faith, your prayers would be answered. I think we, we land in this place that doesn't allow us to have the kind of faith that can actually 
navigate the storms of life. That kind of faith is the kind of faith that says that we're going to overcome the storms of life in some kind of amazing way. But that's not the faith that actually carries us through the storms of life. I think we'll end up sinking just like Peter. So regardless of how much faith you have, the sea of life gets rough and it gets stormy. People get sick and relationships break and loved ones die and accidents happen. Have you ever felt like things have gone dark? Like you're beat up and you're battered? Like you're rowing against the wind and you're not going anywhere? Not making any progress? Have you found yourself far from the shore and feeling like you're completely alone? I think that's what the disciples felt a lot of the time, especially in those moments. And I think in those moments, it's so easy to be afraid. It's easy to see ghosts. And that's why I think the question of our faith isn't what this passage, this text is about at all. I think the question, I think what's answered is who is our God? And how does he operate? And instead of focusing on Peter, I think we need to focus on Jesus. And what I mean by that is literally that we need to look and see that when, G- when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, what happens? And we can look at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him. He caught him. Jesus was with him. He saved him. I was thinking about those times in my life when I was younger and I would fall and one of my parents would catch me or even as I was older and I was hurt and someone would hold me. And then I got to thinking about our grandchild baby Sam, Annie and Jake's little girl who's 10 months old and she is just a little rabble rouser, never stops moving. And literally being with her is pure joy and it's pure exhaustion all at the same time because she moves, 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 moves. And all of the time we are literally running behind her, catching her. Catching her, making sure she doesn't fall and hurt herself. And I imagine that's how God is with us, that he's always with us. And that's such a great feeling. Catching us. I think that is the heart of the story. Jesus immediately reached out and he caught Peter. And yep, Peter should have kept his eyes on Jesus and so should we. But when we don't, when we falter, when we fall, it's Jesus that's going to grab us and catch us and set us up right again and give us another chance again. Because that's the God that we follow and the God that we love. And I was thinking about this, that Maybe it's not so much about walking on the water in the storms of our life. Because God does that, right? But maybe it's about staying in the boat sometimes. I mean, it's not like Jesus was the one who asked Peter to get out of the boat. That was Peter's idea. But maybe it takes a different kind of faith to stay in the boat. Maybe Jesus' question of Peter's faith and doubt was asking him, hey, why did you get out of the boat? And I get Peter. I think there's something endearing about Peter to all of us because there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. We cry out to be rescued from the circumstances that we're afraid of. We want to escape the storm and avoid the ghost. 
pick me up, God, and put me somewhere else, somewhere where I'm safe and somewhere where I'm comfortable. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't do that. He didn't take the disciples out of the storm. He entered the storm. He entered the storm to be with them. And the other part about this story that I love so much is that the disciples' trip across the sea is a moving from one kind of faith to another. It's a journey from faith used to escape the storm to a faith that carries us through storms. It's this faith that's about moving and being independent of our circumstances to one that experiences God with us no matter what's going on around us. Maybe Jesus is taking us from a get-out-of-the-boat kind of faith to a stay-in-the-boat kind of faith. Because here's the one thing I think we all know from life's experiences. It's those storms. It's being in the middle of it. It's staying in it. Those are the moments when our souls, when ourselves, when we experience the biggest change, the biggest transformation. And sometimes it seems like those come in the middle of the darkest nights, in the midst of the hardest moments. And maybe in every storm we need to ask ourselves the question, do we get out of the boat or do we stay in? Because sometimes faithfulness means staying in the boat. I've shared this with you guys before, but um, I've worked a lot with grievers and with grief ministry. And one of the things that we say all the time when someone has lost a loved one is that you cannot go around your grief. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You have to go right through your grief. You got to stay on the boat because that's how you receive the comforts and peace and love of God. And that's how transformation happens. Over the fears that we have, the cries that we have, we can remember Jesus' words, take heart, it is I. Have no fear. That moment when Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, when he reveals himself to us as the I am. And they'd know that to mean the Messiah, the divine one. Matthew 14, 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart it is I, do not be afraid. A more literal translation of that word, take heart, would be take courage. Be courageous. And Jesus is not talking about this sort of macho, power down, um, life-denying courage. Jesus is talking about a life-giving courage that comes from um, the something that's grounded in the I am of Jesus Christ. I am. I am the light of the world. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the way. I am the resurrection. And that life-giving courage that we get from the I am, it doesn't mean that we're not afraid. It's simply a means for moving through our fear, for navigating those storms. It's a kind of courage that grows us. It's a kind of courage that helps us to live out the gospel the way God has intended for each and every one of us. 
And all of that, when I think about this life-giving courage that Jesus calls us to, it reminds me of John Lewis, the congressman, the civil rights hero that a week ago Thursday was memorialized and eulogized at a church in Atlanta, Georgia, the same church that Dr. King pastored at one time. And what a life worth celebrating. John Lewis, um, this amazing man who headed up the student nonviolent unit, who, or student nonviolent committee. He was the youngest speaker at the march in Washington. He was the first freedom rider. He led the march from Selma to Montgomery. He was a member of Congress, serving 33 years representing his district and his state, and he never stopped fighting for the rights of all people. And the Reverend Dr. Warnock, during his service, he talked about the John Lewis who as a child preached to the chickens and wrestled with a call to ministry. But instead of preaching sermons, he said he became one. He became a living, walking sermon about truth-telling and about justice. And the Reverend went on to say this about John Lewis. Beaten and battered, but never bitter or unbowed. On a bridge in Selma, he stared down bigotry and brutality and tyranny, and he won. How did he do it? The great-great-grandson of slaves. He received a spiritual power born of suffering, a moral audacity that transcended human station and called upon the human law to more closely align itself with the law of love. No matter how high the waves, no matter how strong the wind, how dark the night, how great the fear. John Lewis, he lived his life recognizing Jesus, a Jesus that comes to us, a God with us. He knew the Jesus that said, take heart, it is I. It is I, do not be afraid. And it's the divine power in the presence, in the midst of the storms that change us and move us to live with a life-giving courage grounded in that I am of Jesus. The amazing thing about life-giving courage is that it's a courage that confronts evil and it seeks reconciliation for all people. It's a courage that manifests the heart of God in each of us. And then it looks, and it speaks, and it acts just like the love of Jesus. Take heart. Recognize that Jesus is in our midst, that God is with us no matter the storm. And that that's what brings the kingdom here. That's the life of John Lewis. Further on in his service, Dr. Warnock said this, John Lewis's ancestors met a man named Jesus in the brush arbors of Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi. And John Lewis received that faith. And he took it across the bridge in Selma and every other bridge. It's just like the disciples. They took that faith and they moved across that Sea of Galilee. And the next part of the story that we're reading is they went on to minister and to share the gospel. So it's a bit of a stay in the boat faith. 
that we're talking about, a faith that knows that Christ is with us always. And I got to thinking that I don't at all think this passage is so much of a our walking on water kind of miracle. I think the miracle is this. The miracle is that with Christ in the boat, we can pass through the, si- the storms of life and then we can reach the other shore and that we can have a new life. And that's the beauty, no matter who you are. That's what God has for each and every one of us. Take heart, it is I, says Jesus. Be courageous. And that's our call, friends. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Matt for words of institution.